The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift, with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition Podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors, emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development. Welcome to the Energy and Transition Podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. We are coming from the coming to you live from the Pickering Energy Partners offices in downtown Houston, Texas. I'm joined, as usual, with a co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Dan Pickering. How are you, sir? Josh, I'm doing great. This is uh, this is going to be a fun a fun episode because we get to talk about the best. Oh, yes, yes. There's a lot to choose from. A lot of good content. Uh, we love all our children equally. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, you know, I've got two young kids. I've got an 11 and almost a 13 year old. My daughter really wants to know who's her favorite kid. She asked me this: Who's your number one? And I'm like, neither of you. My, my wife is my number one. Yes, you guys are. A yeah, th- a second, distant, a yeah. distant second, distant tied for second. Yes, you know what's really funny about this is when we were we had the transcripts for all of these um, podcasts. Mm-hmm. So as we were kind of going through picking who to talk about and what to talk about, and your notes were like, here's what I think we should look at. I was reading the transcripts to kind of look at this. It's very funny to see our interaction, some of these opening monologue or this opening conversations via written transcripts. Okay. It just does it seem silly? No, it seems very much like um I'm talking to you and you're like, Yeah, Josh, great. We're gonna go talk to this guest now. <laughs> Enough with the pleasantries, <laughs> on with the show. <laughs> yeah. And when you and you see it in written, you're like, Yeah, Dan was just he's just appeasing me in this moment. I'm just chomping at the bit to talk to all these smart people. It well, it's exactly right. So one of the guests we're gonna talk about, I don't know what order we go, we're just gonna jump around here. So we're going to jump to, let's start with this one. This is a great one. It's the only one that I wasn't a part of this year. Yeah. And our, but, but hold on, before yes. we do that, just so everybody understands what we're doing, yes. I think we're picking five, okay. um, five sort of most interesting or, or cool moments of the year. And I think we'll talk about who the guest was and then we're going to show a clip. Correct. And so um, hopefully folks will then say, wow, that was interesting and go back and listen to the, to the episode. Um, so go ahead. We're going to start with listen to the episode, tell their friends about it because we're going to talk about how much this podcast has grown too, maybe throughout the, uh, the episode here, but our podcast, um, producer is Lauren Johnston and she is great. And one of the things that I was unavailable for one of these podcasts and you had to do it on your own. And Lauren was very quick to tell me that that was her favorite episode. Yeah. I, I obviously did not like a dangerous comment so close to bonus season. <laughs> That's right. She was, it was repeated, numerous how great it was. Mm-hmm. And then I thought this king can't be this great guest. Yeah. So I went back and listened to it. Uh huh. And I see why you picked her as one of the top five. Yep. Do you remember the specifics of what you thought was so great about it? 
Well, and so the podcast here that we're talking about is Andreka Bernatova. And Andreka, we're so fortunate to have her as one of the advisors to PEP on our Energy Transition Advisory Board. And um, what's so impressive about Andreka is she spanned oil and gas to decarbonization. And what really just jumped out to me is she is she is a go-getter and a determined person and executive who who finds a way to win. And so when I was thinking about this, I wrote down one word, which was grit. I mean, Andreka is just, she, she, and, and, and gritty in a good way, yep. gritty in a way that's like, I want to help her succeed. I want her to win. Um, and so, you know, that whole interview and particularly at the end where we were talking about how she had, um, grown up in Eastern Europe and sort of fought her way into boarding school and, and really kind of launched a, a very distinguished career path. She's young still. Yeah. And so she, she sets her sights on something and goes for it. So I was just very impressed. Uh, I was too, even though I wasn't a part of it. Yes. I, I get, you'd have made it better, Jack. I don't know. I mean, she, one of the things you say in there, and I think people need to go listen, obviously they need to go listen to the full podcast. They're just going to get a snippet of it here. Her backup school was her. Yeah. Damn. I know. Yes. Focus on that. Yes. I, I'm a two-time two turn down from Harvard, which when I was trying to get in, meant something. I don't know that, that all the controversy they have now may be a little bit challenging, but um, yeah, backup's cool. Well, on that note, enjoy this clip and uh, we'll be back with a minute. Tell our listeners a little bit about how, you know, you, you said you went to your last two years of high school in Switzerland. Tell us about how you got there, because be because to me it's very telling. You're you're in the Czech Republic. You want to do something different. There's a pretty big gap from that to Harvard is your backup <laughs> college. So, tell us about how you got into your high school. Well, um, so I come from a very very small village in the you know Czech countryside. I actually I know it's quite unbelievable but um you know until i was about 15 i was super introverted oh, um, that is unbelievable that is yes i i but that's another testament like you can change do dramatically. what you gotta do right yes and again if you are deliberate about it like you you can do it but um you know i always went sort of the the borders opened after the you know fall of communism you know remember we we were not able to go and travel in the west right so the austrian border is closer than the polish border and we could never you know cross the the austrian border it, it, never right we could we were not able to leave to the western world so you know all of a sudden sort of the borders open and um and i wanted to you know study uh, uh, in in the west so <clears throat> the uh, the way I got into my uh, boarding school is I, I there were only two things I knew about the school. I learned about it by coincidence, but one was they speak English there, and the other is that it's in the Swiss Alps. And so I realized I first have to learn English, so that's how I came to the U.S. And, and literally, this was my actually first, I would say, fundraising experience then when I was 14. <clears throat> I, would, I got on a bike, and I was biking from one small very small businessmen, and we are talking like food truck guys, right? Uh -huh. uh, to another asking uh, for sponsorship, which here, you know, people are, you know, very used to charitable donations. Here in the U.S. Here in the U.S. Uh -huh. Czech Republic, like, not so much. 
a very new product. I was like, I was like Goldman Sachs, <laughs> like making up, you know, creating a new product to, to sell to people. So, um, so let, this this probably was a ten month exercise. I was biking before school every day, you know, from six a.m. to seven thirty a.m. and after school, asking for sponsorship and raised the six thousand dollars actually, and then went to the U.S. Um, like I said, lived with a family in New Hampshire, fabulous experience, etc. Learned English, came back, and when I came back. Um, I uh, applied to the Swiss boarding school. It's called Eglon College, um, uh, which is a you know a, a, a very expensive school, very mm-hmm. expensive. Um, but I, I had no sort of sense of like right. cost at that yeah, time. Yeah, you're 15. Yeah, I was 16, and so I, um, I basically sent a note to the headmaster of the school, this exclusive Swiss British boarding school, and I asked him for a space at uh, for a place at Eglon, and he responded that um, you know uh, they they don't give scholarships. I have to sort of apply. There was a, a specific um, uh, charitable foundation that was giving uh, you know scholarships to East European students at that time. One of the criteria of uh, that uh, scholarship was um, that it was only for students who did not spend extensive period of time in English-speaking country. So I went to the U.S. to learn English, so I can go to this boarding school. And now that excluded me from the. Uh, then you can't. Yeah, can't get that. Uh, and of course, there was an option, you know, to say, "No, I didn't." Um, but. That's but the, you told the, the truth. Yes, yeah. I said the truth, and uh, I was rejected for the scholarship. And so, I then proceeded to send um, handwritten letters. I actually do have copies of these, Dan. So if I ever mm. write a book, like I will publish those because they were just incredibly hilarious. You know, I mean, the sixteen-year-old wanting to go to the school. So every probably week or two weeks, I don't remember now, but I was writing a handwritten letter to the headmaster and the head of admissions that I'm coming to a school, I want to come to a school, and you know, what can I do? I, you know, I offered like, I'm gonna be, you know, cleaning the toilets, I'm gonna be, you know, helping babysit this, this, the kids of the staff, etc. just this wild ideas. And um, eight months later, this didn't work. Uh, you know, they kind of politely would always answer to me, you know, thank you very much in receipt of your note and, you know, best, best wishes for your life. Right. Good um, luck. <laughs> so four days before the start of the school year, I decided, well, uh, this obviously is not working, so I got to change the strategy a little bit. Uh, I have to call this guy, right? The headmaster of this uh, super exclusive boarding school. So I called him and uh, I told him he has two choices. One is I'm getting on the bus, one way ticket to Switzerland. Uh, I can sleep in front of the dorms or inside the dorms, but I will be there in four days. And so literally, as I was literally getting on the bus, um, he called me. And he said that I have a, a place at Elon. Um, and so that was, you know, it was, I mean, this was years. And we're talking two years of, you know, different strategic and tactical exercise. And most importantly, I was just not going to give up. And what's important, I think, in this, this equation, Dan, is I was willing to take the risk. I did have a one-way bus ticket. And I was ready to sleep in front of the dorms like you gotta be ready to take the risk and that's one of the things that I you know I I feel are really important in life right like you gotta be persistent but you have to be willing to take the leap all right welcome back we hope you enjoyed that that little snippet there of Andreka this is uh, we're gonna keep moving along so one of the next guests or pair of guests that we had on there is a group from Palantir Um, this was an interview that you set up that you know, unfortunately, 
the stuff that we talked about off air. Yeah, it was just as interesting. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, it was amazing. And, you know, Josh, so our guests, Matt Babin and, and Lila Ontiveros, um, I feel like we totally aced it because we talked about AI before it was, you know, 20, you know, 95% of what CNBC talks about at all times. So uh, we were talking about AI in the oil patch and what Palantir had been doing. Yeah, in 20 years. Yeah, for a very long time. Yes. Waiting for technology to catch up with what they were doing. Yes. Yes. And I think it was a little bit of it, from my perspective, there's a couple things. One, it was a glimpse into how we're going to continue to use technology in the energy patch. And the other was just kind of the cool, like the cool stories around the, the defense applications, which is where Palantir started. So we kind of had a zero dark 30 moment in there. That was really cool. That there's a couple of things you can go listen to on this episode. Number one, they, they never say the CIA. It's always the agency, which I, it took me a minute to kind of click in what they were saying. These people are so smart that, and we have smart guests on every episode, but there was a moment there where Matt is talking and you realize that since he was 15 years old, somebody's been watching him going, we need to pay special attention to this person. Yeah. And he needs to be on our team. Like, that's how smart some of these people really are. <laughs> and, there's, and he kind of lets in on that story of how at Stanford, one of his professors was like, hey, you need to be helping us, helping us out right now. I don't know if that's the, the part we're going to highlight. It might be part of it, but just because it's so intelligent. But um, I mean, which part would you even want to highlight through this? There's the, the, here's how they came and got me. Here's the zero dark 30. I think that's a pretty interesting. Yeah. I think that's probably what the audience would enjoy the most. But, I, you know, audience, on that note, you need to go download the in, uh, Energy and Transition podcast on any one of your podcast platforms um, and subscribe, follow, et cetera. But this is an episode that doesn't get boring from start to finish. And it there's any number of angles where Matt and Lyler are talking. We're like, well, that's cool. Uh -huh. I didn't know that was going on. Uh -huh. For sure. It'll be a tough, it'll be a tough to, to figure out the little short clip, but hopefully you enjoy uh, hearing a little bit more about Palantir yep. and uh, we'll come back with uh, our third best of. The more we worked in that space, we recognized this is not a problem that's unique just to the government, right? Complex organizations that have siloed business units over lots of different sets of data where you have experts who deal with specific parts of problems, they need to collaborate just the same way that targeters and all source analysts and operators in the field do. Uh -huh. And so that led to Foundry, which is our commercial product, which really solves that same problem of how can you take all the intelligence of an organization, raw data, derived data, analysis, models, simulations, optimizations, and put those right next to your operations. All right, so you make this like closed loop where the decisions you're making, the analysis you're doing, that becomes new data, new models that get fed in rather than just a PowerPoint deck or a dashboard or anything like that. And this has then grown into work that touches on satellites and tasking commercial satellites for imagery to monitor solar farms and how well they're working or pipeline excursions and integrity um, to work now with large language models uh, that we just announced on, on Friday uh, and to sort of like products behind the scenes that manage the upgrades of all of those systems, right? How can you manage 200 microservices on a submarine that doesn't have connections all the time or on a satellite where, you know, you're deploying just a couple lines of code? 
Um, so when you go to the website, like you say, right. you, you see, you know, dozens of different things that, that the software does. And I think if you look at all those leaves and you're like, wait, what's what's the same about these? This this sounds different. Ferrari race cars is different than BP drilling wells, is different than Airbus building planes, is different than banks doing anti-money laundering. What all of those have together is this idea of there is tremendous value in the knowledge in an organization. Mm -hmm. That knowledge comes from data and humans working with that data. The tighter you can make that loop between knowledge and action, you can run a better company, you can run a better intel agency, you can run a better country. Um, that's what I think all of our customers have in common. Okay. And so two questions come out of that. I'll ask the frivolous one first, which is if you've seen the movie Zero Dark Thirty, mm -hmm. Jessica Chastain is this, she finds bin Laden, but it takes her years to do it. And if if she was working with Palantir, would she have found them lots faster? Or, right? I mean, it, that's, when you were telling the story, I'm thinking like that is data. She was sifting through huge amounts of data and having to figure it out and interviews and all this. So correct or incorrect or partially correct? I'm so uh, intrigued to see how he answers yeah, this. Yeah, I'd say. Because the so time. If you Google... If you Google the names you just mentioned that aren't Hollywood actress, actors in our company, you'll get a version of an answer to this. Okay. That I can't talk about because of what my job used to be in the okay. agency. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, but I think it's in the U.S. among Western allies, we're very proud of the work we've done on not just being able to deliver outcomes in that space, but deliver outcomes at greater pace at, yeah, where speed. time matters. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, in my notes, yep. I have a, a sentence here that says, <laughs> allows organizations to integrate their data sources and models into a single point access, enabling faster data-driven decision-making. I feel like that's kind of answering which, I mean, because yeah. that was their problem. They just, they were trying to put all this stuff together. It's a great movie, by the way. Yeah. And, and make the decision because yep. she had to add up everything and then convince everybody that it was actually mm -hmm. real. Okay. Welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed a, a little insight into Palantir. And uh, the next best of clip uh, comes from, uh, we shot it live at Pickering Energy Partners Team Fest Conference in Austin. And uh, Bud Brigham uh, is, a, is a lifetime entrepreneur. He's been around the energy patch for a very long period of time. Uh, I think he said he started seven companies, three or four of which are now were or are public companies and yeah exactly and so it was kind of fun because we were we we're sitting in these three chairs with lights shining in our face and there's a cocktail party going on on the other side of the camera and so um that that was probably the most unique yeah. uh taping that we we've done that one was at the, uh, the pickering energy partners team fest yeah in austin that was great yeah it was it was a good time and you know uh most people listen to the podcast uh, via, you know, just listening. If you want to watch it on YouTube, uh, you can find it there. And so uh, you'll get a you'll get a look at Bud and Josh and I interacting in that, you know, kind of live environment. But uh, what jumped out to you from from Bud's podcast? I mean, he doesn't seem to either know how to lose or give up to where losing becomes an option because it seemed like he was I mean, he didn't really start his companies in ideal times. He's, he's an 80s baby, if you will, with regard to starting the businesses. They were started in not great times in the old patch. 
Uh, he pushed through. They, the timing of when they were able to capitalize was perfect. Um, you know, we, I believe there was a conversation there where we talked about the 1998 oil prices, which were $11 a barrel. And anytime you're having conversations about $11 oil, you know, you don't think they're going to end successfully. Yeah. And yet he somehow managed to build businesses and, and find value for shareholders throughout that entire process. Well, cool. Um, I, I really enjoy that. You know what else I love too? And I, and I, we did call this out. He, I love it when he recognized not only his, his team that's been with him a long time, but he, he, he recognized his wife throughout the process or the podcast too. We gave her a special recognition on that. We'll do it again on this one as well. Um, just seems like a solid guy throughout throughout the entire podcast and his career. So, you know, I think that's one of my favorite parts of oh. these podcasts and getting to know people is, you know, when we started this, it was like, all right, how do we talk about a widget? What what widget's going to make a difference for the energy transition or and how does that going to affect someone's life and what does that look like? And really you understand that these are energy and oil and gas people that understand what what it's going to take for people's life to be better and, and how do we do this? But then at the same time, like they're doing it from the foundation of, I want to make everyone's life better. I want to help do this from the, from a position of this is going to be good for everyone. And what can I do? And I think that once you get to know these people throughout all of these different podcasts that we're, that we're interviewing, these are just solid people. And I think that's, I hope that comes across in every one of these interviews. I think it does. I mean, uh, we also, right, we try to pick folks that we, we like and respect and think are good people. So um, I don't think it should be a surprise that they're all cool. Yeah. But, um, but they're representative, right? There's a lot of folks just like them out, out in, the, in the energy business. And so um, think, I think folks will have an enjoyable time listening to, to Bud and what he's accomplished and how he thinks about his employees and his family. Yeah. Um, so enjoy, enjoy this clip and we'll be back in a minute. But you're you're you built seven companies. Um, talk to talk to the entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. What's what advice would you give them so that they can build seven companies and sell them for billions of dollars? <laughs> yeah, let's go back to those numbers yeah. again. Those are fun numbers yeah. to talk about. Well, I'm very fortunate. I've worked with great people. I have a great wife. It wouldn't have happened without her. And I worked with great people. I had a great mentor. Really, it's a it starts with people. Yeah, that's you know, awesome. It gets back to that. It starts with you know the people you surround you with. What's your wife's name? Ann. Ann. That's yeah. fantastic. Keep and going. Uh, yeah. yeah, it wouldn't have happened without her. And and um, even if she is a lawyer, I think it, you said she's, she's one of the good ones. Yes, <laughs> yes. So there are a lot of them. entrepreneurs' advice: good people, good people, um, and then um, aligning the people. With the shareholders, I think um, I, we have found we tend to be pretty aggressive on a relative basis with equity uh -huh. to align people with the shareholders and then and then empowering them. And this is important, trusting them. And, th and that's part of empowering them, trusting them to innovate and take risks and yep. take smart, smart risks. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that with uh, about Bud. It's again, these are these are great stories to hear. The next one we move in is another good one. We were doing this one downtown Houston. Uh, at uh, Actually, we, we don't set these up like this, but it's an opportunity where a lot of people come together. We did this one at a Pickering event where a lot of investors and oil and gas people, energy people, transition people were in town. And uh, 
we had um, Michael Kearney with, with out of Boston was in town. Uh-huh. And he was great. Yeah. I mean, he, he really was, Josh. And his firm is The Engine. Yep. And The Engine, the way I describe it is, is there, they're an accelerator. There's sort of a VC. They're deploying small dollars into big opportunities. And, you know, they're, they're thinking about things that truly are transformational. You know, I remember him talking about, um, you know, just a number of things. They've they've been involved in stuff on the nu- nuclear side, for instance. Um, but you know, they're not thinking about making ten percent a year. They're make, thinking about making ten times their money, or twenty times their money, or a hundred times their money in in a business where they're also going to make zero times their money on some of these things because that's that's how venture works, and you got to take chances on things to to have transformational outcomes. So, um, you know, my one of my favorite parts was Mike is a doctor. And so somehow we got on, we got on to calling him Dr. Mike, right? And so I'll never, I'll never think about him or the engine without thinking about Dr. Mike. He's, it goes back to what you were just talking about. These are very relatable people that are very smart trying to make a difference. And, you know, one of the technologies, you know, they just, when you listen to this interview, if I, again, I would recommend you go back and listen to the entire interview with him because these are big concepts that you mentioned, and some of it's very far away, but then they are also talking about some of the projects that are a little bit closer. And I remember, that, again, some of them, the details of them don't seem like they're that far away. And you're like, well, that's a great idea that we're going to apply right now to, to some technologies that exist that are just right there. So I hope that the audience is listening and going back and, and downloading some of these um these podcasts that we're listening to to kind of understand that these transformational technologies maybe aren't as far away as we think they are. Yeah. And the people that are doing them are actively working on these on a daily basis with some very big, because the engine's attached to a couple of of the big think tanks up there as well, correct? Yeah. MIT. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, it's, everybody works hard at their, at their job. Um, There's just so much blood, sweat and tears that's going into, all of this energy transition, if you will. And so I think folks would get a really uh, good view as they listen to Dr. Mike. Dr. Mike. So you've seen a lot of startups. You're involved in a lot of startups. Um, What's the pearl of wisdom or what do you tell entrepreneurs uh, if they want to be successful what are two or three characteristics that they really need to develop or, or think about? Yeah, so one, the first thing, and I hope that there are aspiring entrepreneurs out there listening, is like, I don't think there's ever been a better time to start a climate or clean energy startup. Um, the capital is there. There's a lot of interest. Um, and I, I think the time is now to do it. And it is, it is a both very potentially lucrative and rewarding experience. The second, I think, and this is more to your question, relates to the importance of building a team, uh-huh. trusting your teammates, leading. It is the success and failure of these companies and this movement as a whole, the energy transition, is going to come down to leadership, uh-huh. basically exclusively, I'm pretty sure, um, and the people who are doing it. And um, so... For my the, our our portfolio companies and our CEOs, I think that the ability to lead, and the ability to build a team, and work on those soft skills is really critical. 
Um, and everything else is going to be hard, right? You can actually control that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't control everything. Um, so you should be investing in yourself to become that the leader because we need them. Yeah. Um, we need really good leaders out there in the space. I mean, you said hopefully, Dan. He obviously doesn't know how big this podcast is, <laughs> how dominant we are. Yes, hope, hopefully there are entrepreneurs listening. There are. Good. There you go. There are. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Houston. This yes. Is, we're not, we're yes. not here to lose. <laughs> good. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. That's right. What's interesting about your advice is you didn't say make sure that the problem you're attacking is big. You didn't, you didn't talk about understand your technology. It, it, maybe that's inherent in, you know, there's good technology to start a business around, but um, it really highlights that it's not enough to be Dr. Mike and smart. It, you've got to have these soft things if you're really going to be successful. And we've got to have successful people to make this difference that you're talking about. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you need a couple Joshes on the team is what he's saying. <laughs> Josh, well, we could is, use a, we could use many Josh. This is many this is a job interview for Josh. Yes, <laughs> I'm just saying general, general Josh. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's his last podcast, everyone. He's going to work at the end. Just general Josh. You, know, you got you need one Doctor Mike, but yeah. All right, welcome back. Hopefully, that was a good set of insights to the engine and Michael Carney, and and now I have to say, Josh, again, back to this concept of. I love all my kids equally, and I think we had 18 or 20 podcasts this year, but um, the most transfixing moment of 2023 on our our podcast for me was when we visited with Marianne Berlinski. Um, Marianne uh, is a longtime sort of energy trading and power executive. Uh, She was between positions when she came on the podcast. She's now uh, president of a bunch of power assets for Arclight, the big uh, private equity firm. But um, Marianne was at the thick of it in 20, when was Winter Storm Mary? 22? 2021? Yeah. She was at the thick of it, you know, literally sitting in the switches <laughs> um, during Winter Storm Mary in Texas, which, uh, you know, was the biggest power outage and, and sort of power emergency that Texas had seen in many decades. And um, her discussion oh, of, it's awesome. of how close the whole Texas grid was to cratering and being down for months, what it, I, I learned more about power in that podcast and in that five minutes than you know I had in my whole career. You know, I remember a couple things from her podcast, but that moment, very rarely is Dan Pickering at a loss for words. Yeah. And there was a moment there when she was done talking where we both just said, Whoa. Right. It was that powerful. Yeah. The discussion. Yeah. Explanation. And it was her, it was so clear how she breaks it down. Yep. That, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of information out there where you try to Google something and there's gonna be a spin on it one way or the other. I think this is gonna be the clearest non partisan, non, you know, whatever word you want to put on it explanation of what happened that yeah. you can find. Yeah. And I think the audience is going to love the entire, her entire episode is great. She's a, comes from a strong family, has a strong upbringing, which I really enjoyed hearing the stories about that as well. She loves being a trader. Those were great stories. She's truly enjoying her career, which I thought was a great, uh, it's always fun when somebody's just enjoying every aspect of, of each stage of the career. So, but yeah, that was a great story. Um, a excellent interview. So 
Yeah, absolutely. So enjoy. You picked some good ones here. Yeah, it, this this was a good a good five and a good capper here with Marianne Berlinski. One of the Same. things that that we heard a lot about around Yuri was it was like we were minutes from crashing the Texas power grid to, to the point that it would have taken months to recover. Was that an over-dramatization or do you think that's accurate? It was accurate. Um, so, you know, at EDF, we were dispatching during that week 52 resources into the ERCOT market. 52 different power sources, mm-hmm. okay. Mostly gas-fired power stations, demand response, some batteries, uh, wind farms, solar. So we, we touched a lot of, um, you know, assets in the state. And going into, well, we knew on Friday that it was going to be bad. And at that point, you know, there were already, the wind farms in West Texas were covered in ice. We were getting, you couldn't buy gas at any price. We had power stations that would have been happy to run, but you couldn't find fuel. Um, you, you know, fast forward through the weekend and, and Sunday, I'm telling my then 16-year-old, charge everything you got, because we're going to lose power tomorrow. Like, uh-huh. And it's probably going to be days. Um, so we had at EDF, we, um, head of our compliance group slept on the trade floor for four days, four nights, um, head of our demand response, head of regulatory, um, our our ERCOT rep, uh, and that team sitting alongside the real time operators and, you know, coming into early Monday morning. And what I think actually was the straw that broke the camel's back with Yuri, that cold front got so far south. And there's a great map of uh, the counties in the state of Texas and the um, main heating fuel. So think, how, how, do the, how do the homes get heated? And the farther south you go, the less natural gas is, the more baseboard electric. Because mm. if you're in Corpus, you know, how many, how many times are you going to need the heat a year? And so when that cold front got all the way down to Corpus and all, and all of that electric heating turned on, there was not another generator in the state that could move up. Uh-huh. And, you know, at that point, the only tool we had as a market was to start turning customers off. And unfortunately, even though we have all these super smart meters on everybody's home, um, our ability to carve out loads to shut them off proactively like if you've got anybody in your neighborhood who's on oxygen like the the wires company knows mm-hmm. that and they're not going to turn you off and so they're trying to do an equitable shutdown and it's mm-hmm. taking way longer than they they think and unfortunately what happened is wires companies who are saying i've got to shut load things are things are you know escalating really really fast they started shutting down some compressor compression stations up around Dallas. And what happened when you turn off a natural gas compressor that's pushing natural gas through a pipeline to a power plant so that it can burn it and make electricity, all of a sudden we were getting calls that we're, we're, we've lost fuel pressure. We're, we're tripping on low fuel pressure. So you lost, and you can, you can look at the ERCOT charts and see a couple big gas-fired plants trip off not because it was too cold or they yeah. were broken, but they had no their, gas their, in the pipeline. No gas in the pipeline, and once they lost those um, system frequency, which you know mentioned earlier, we like it at sixty. It's where That's it belongs. Yep. Um, had degraded to a point where uh, we have two nuclear plants in the state, Comanche Peak and South Texas, and Comanche Peak has some safety equipment. Basically, all gas turbines do. If frequency gets too low, they shut themselves off to protect themselves because otherwise they'll break um 
and we had been under the threshold for that for the nukes for for and they can only hang there for seven minutes and we were four minutes in wow um meaning they were going to shut down and then you lose that power right and at that point that's when you know a third of the power went out in texas to protect system frequency so that the nukes wouldn't trip wow and you know my guys on the trade floor are yelling come on ERCOT come on ERCOT you've got and and you're watching live system frequency or I mean it it was we were two minutes away thank you very much for listening to these uh these the summary if you will the best of for 2023 this has been a great year for the energy and transition podcast the growth has just been phenomenal we've seen a record year in downloads we've seen a record year in every single month over month has been growth um we could not do it without the audience. We, I know that Dan and I, when we go certain places, people ask about it all the time. Have you seen this kind of interaction? When, good for sure. I listened to such and such. What you know? What was that like? Or right. tell me more. And, you know, that's something that we don't take lightly. We want to bring good content in 2024. If you have any suggestions, obviously keep throwing those at us. Um, I think that you know one of my favorite things that you do. Again, just. There's lots of personal growth and professional growth. One of the, my favorite things is getting to know you. You are very passionate about the Houston Texans. I am, Josh, and which is kind of strange because I've only been to a couple games in the last few years. But as a, it's not uncommon, I would think, as a uh, Texans fan. Yeah, I'm starting to get an appreciation for like these Cubs fans who've waited 50 years for success or whatnot. But. Um, Listeners of the podcast know that we do a lightning round at the end of every uh, of every podcast, which is fun to get to know uh, our guests even better. And so, I, before you get to this, it it is so funny how, how disappointed you get when these guests don't give you the answer. When when yeah, and so you'd better give me the right answer, Josh. So before we go to our final lightning round of the year, um, you are welcome to ask. Any question you want, but I will have the final light. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we are December 2023. Um, I'll stick with football. Okay. The Dallas Cowboys are sitting at 10 and 3 right now, playing tremendous football. Will the Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl in 2024? Josh, for you, I say in 2024. Yes. The February 24th. This season? This season. This season. For you, I will say yes. For the audience, I will say no. Um, it's fair. I, I think the odds of any team winning are less than less than twenty percent. So the odds say no. It's a very math. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And you can tell I'm not passionate about the Cowboys, but that's okay. I know you are. So I hope they. Yeah, do. I'm brainwashed. Yeah, for so from your position to be in. From your perspective, I I hope they. For you, I hope they win. Well, I will tell you, you turned me a little bit on the Texans. I I don't like to see my friends hurt. Ooh. I do find a lot of pleasure, though, when people give you the wrong answer. Yeah. And it does crack me up. Yes. I feel about that. So I'm becoming a fan of the Texans. I think the C.J. Stroud kid is a great kid. I'm rooting for him tremendously. And I love their coach. I think he's yeah. great. It's, they're fun to watch. So I think you've got a foundation. So I'm going to ask you this question. Will the Texans, the Houston Texans, win the Super Bowl in the next decade. Yes, they will. And fair bet. that's a great way to finish the year. And I'll echo Josh's comments, which is to thank all of our listeners during the year and, and to thank our guests. We can't do it without them. 
And uh, remember, our goal here is to help educate and entertain slightly along the way. And I think we're doing it. And I'm really excited about 2024. So to those of us hearing us in uh, still in 2023, happy holidays. And uh, for those of us listening to this in early 2024, let's have a great, let's have a great year. Cheers. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Yeah.